The scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of James, chapter 11 to 17. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen? Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. And uh, I, uh, I'm a little disappointed. I was kind of looking forward to not having a camera <laughs> on me today, but, um, you know, but guess it was, you know, if it was the Lord's will, we'll do this and we'll do that. And the camera would be on me, but not on the band. I don't know. I can't see how that's the Lord's will. But uh, anyway, just kidding. <sighs> I'm guessing that most of you uh, can probably think up a short saying uh, that is, you know, something that is commonly used to express some sort of deep truth in a few words. Things like a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Or a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Or it takes a village to raise a child. I like this one. Wealth is like a nose hair. It hurts to be separated, whether from a little or from a lot. <laughs> and there's one such saying that I, I used to think was a good saying, because, you know, it can add some comfort, it is the saying, all's well that ends well. All's well that ends well. And I thought this was a good expression until um, I actually thought about it and had an experience of it uh, being used. Years ago, someone close to me worked for a church and they were doing youth ministry. Now, before you begin speculating, no, this is a, not a story about Sam or Jeremy. So this youth uh, person doing youth work at a church was working at the church where they had grown up it's where their families still went. It was a predominantly white and predominantly rich church. And there was this extremely small group of kids who were the church kids. You know, the children of the affluent white parents who were members of the congregation. Now, this youth worker did spend lots of time building in relationships with those kids and walking them um, through hard things and discipling them. But the youth worker also spent lots of time and energy out in the community with youth who lived in the close-by neighborhoods. 
And these were predominantly not white, not affluent, and not attending Sunday morning church. So, the powers that be at this church, which was a mixture of the lead pastor and at least two, maybe more, other church leaders, who are what is called the executive board, uh, they didn't like that the youth worker was spending their time on kids not their own. They didn't like that this youth worker was bringing in more kids not like their own and wasn't spending time bringing in more, bringing in kids who were like their own. Though, of course, they would never say it like that. Who wants to actually admit that out loud? But they didn't like that this youth worker wouldn't just bend to their will, wouldn't focus on what they wanted them to focus on, just doing ministry and getting more youth from, uh, from circles that look like their own. And so, as powers that be who only care about their own are wont to do, instead of speaking directly with the youth worker and talking about their challenges and, and, and all of the things that were going on, instead of speaking honestly with the church or with the youth workers' families, the powers that be made their own decisions, and to save face, they spread falsehoods to make this youth worker look bad. They even threatened one person in their congregation not to speak up. And they simply told the deacon's board, this is how executives sometimes function, they simply told the deacon's board, well, we can't tell you the details because they're private. You just need to trust us and fire them. And the board, being yes people, said, okay, we'll just take your word for it, you three people who hold all of the power. And this is why we don't have an executive board here at Spring Garden Church. Now, one person who was on the deacon's board at the time, a person who had, was a long-time positive relationship with the youth worker and with the youth worker's family, Someone who actually I myself knew, and I had a lot of respect and, and trust for this person. This person knew all of the lies. They knew about all of the misdealings. And yet they sat through the horrible ordeal. They said nothing, and they voted to fire this person. As a result, the youth worker was fired, and it was an extremely and painful, difficult time on all sorts of levels. It naturally caused a significant change in career for this person. I mean, who wants to work for another church after being destroyed by an evil underbelly of what is supposed to be God's people? And as the time progressed, this youth worker, no longer youth worker, was able to form a new life that was wonderful and good for them. Years after all of this happened, um, I was at a fundraising event, and I happened to run into this, this deacon, this person, who had stayed silent through it all. We talked for a few moments until they said, I heard that, you know, this youth worker is actually doing really well now. All's well that ends well. All's well that ends well. My blood was boiling and I wanted this person to be seen for who I knew them to be. 
And I wanted to say you, you claimed to be a friend, you claimed to be a Christian leader, but you are actually selfish, cowardly, double-minded, two-faced, hater of truth, part of an evil underbelly of a beast. How dare you say all is well? Oh, I was mad. But instead of this, I smiled, I stuffed it down, and I said, well, it was nice to see you, and I moved along. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? The portion of James that we are looking at today, it contains uh, two sections that are very different from one another, um, but they have a similarity in that they both address examples of how we as humans, we as followers of Jesus, try to put ourselves in the place of God. Two different ways that we try to make ourselves sovereign above God and above others. And both of these sections challenge us about the intentions of our hearts and of our wills. The first section, as I just read, is about judgment. Now, judgment is general. About come, it's a general thing about coming to a critical decision, whether it's positive or negative. It is coming to a conclusion or making up your mind about something. However, the judgment that James is talking about here is not the kind of neutral, take-in-all-of-the-facts kind of judgment that you would want from a judge. The kind of judgment James is talking about is identified in verse 11 when he says, Do not slander one another. The word for slander it means to speak evil against someone, to speak maliciously or falsely, to attack their good name. In the story that I shared about this youth worker, the powers that be at this church spoke evil, maliciously and falsely, slandering the name and reputation of the youth worker. What they were doing was what James is telling us not to do. They judged the youth worker is worthy of slander. This is the kind of judgment that James is talking about. However, the slanderous judgment that James is warning his readers about in the story that I told you was not just exemplified in those church leaders. It was equally exemplified in my response, in my heart and mind. I had decided this leader who didn't speak up for the youth worker was... Well, I decided that there were all kinds of terrible things that I won't describe in detail. I had put myself in God's place, and I had made up my mind about who this person was. And while I believe there is justification and place for this person to be challenged on why they did what they did, it is I to whom James here says, who are you to judge your neighbor. 
I was the one who had come to conclusions about this person's intentions, and I had judged them evil. I did not know what was going on in this person's life. life. I did not know what was going on in their mind, in their heart, in their experiences. I didn't, I didn't know their brokennesses, the things that they were carrying in that time. The only one who truly knows what is going on at any given time, the only one who truly knows the true intentions and the true inner workings of a human being and the reasons for why they do what they do is, well, it's not me. And it's not you. It's God. Only God can see into the hearts and the minds of people and be able to make a pure and right judgment of them. Now, James has this section here that can sound uh, confusing. Uh, Verse uh, 5. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy Essentially, what James is saying is that when we judge others, when we speak against them and slander and gossip them, when we are arrogantly seeing ourselves as over and above what God says and what God asks of us, when we judge others like I judge that person, we are not keeping the law. Namely, the law is what James earlier calls the law of freedom, loving our neighbors as ourselves. And by judging others, we are judging God's law of love as unworthy. We are judging God's law to love others as we love ourselves as unworthy, and we are placing ourselves above the law, and we are judging it. And by judging others, we are putting ourselves in God's place and placing God and his commandments below us. There's a book by an author, uh, Marilee Adams, that's called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. And I won't lie, when I first heard that title, I wrongfully judged it as terrible, (laughs) but I had to read it for an assignment I was doing. But it actually is a fantastic book. The basic premise is this. When it comes to how we see and interact with people, we always have two paths before us. There is a learner's path and there's a judger's path. On the judger's path, we ask questions like, what's wrong with this person? Whose fault is this? What's wrong with me? And we look to blame And we assume that something is wrong with the person, with ourselves. But on the learner path, however, we ask questions like, what assumptions am I making? What actually happened here? Is there perhaps something going on that I don't see? What, I wonder, is this person thinking or feeling that might cause them to act in this way? Who in your life, perhaps now or perhaps in the past, have you judged? Who have you written off or spoken slanderously about? And is it possible that you, not being God, perhaps weren't able or aren't able to see fully the inner reality of this person's heart? 
Let's ask God for the humility to accept the reality that we are not God and instead choose to be learners instead of judgers. The second section, verses 13 to 17, is also about the intentions in people's hearts and how we try to put ourselves in the place of God. Verse 13 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year here, carry on business, and make money. Now it's easy for some of us to read this and assume right away that James is talking to and, you know, we're guessing is about to take up issue with people who make long-term plans. People who make plans to build up their business, or perhaps even people who make travel plans, uh, who have the wealth to take a year off and tour around Europe. Well, the traveling part, go to this city or that city, or perhaps spend a year there. Uh, this is actually because in the time of James's writing, merchants traveling around and trading and exports and imports was the center of their growing economic centers. And so the language of go here or go there wasn't about travel for pleasure, but it was about building a thriving business. But we need to be, not, we need to be careful not to judge the, jump to the judgment that James is taking issue, therefore, with people who make business plans. The issue in this particular case, what James is addressing is the attitude of those whom James is addressing. He's not addressing the act of making plans. It's the attitude. The issue uh, in verse, to understand the issue that, and the attitude that James is addressing, we have to go to verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. James is not rebuking them for making money but for their worldly self-confidence in the pursuit of that money. It is the underlying attitude, namely arrogance. Now, when the NIV Bible translates verse 16 as you boast in your arrogant schemes, uh, it, can, it can quite po- probably be better interpreted as something like this. You boast in your arrogances. This isn't a humble person with entrepreneurial giftings that James is speaking to. This is one who boasts in their arrogance. They boast that they are self-exalting. They boast that they are self-absorbed and conceited in their own superiority. They boast that they have a sense that all of their achievements are 100% from their own amazingness and giftedness. Now, perhaps you and I wouldn't identify ourselves, or at least we wouldn't admit to identify ourselves as these type of people. Yet I imagine in all of us, in some way, we live and make decisions at times as if we were 100% in control of our own future. Yet as commentator DJ Moo writes, illness, accidental death, or the return of Christ could cut short our lives just as quickly as the morning sun dissipates the mist or as a shift in the wind direction will blow away smoke. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
And so, instead of finding arrogant confidences in our plans, James encouraged us to find humble assurance in the Lord, in Jesus. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Now, I want to take a moment to pause and talk about God's sovereignty, which I recognize, you know, is a whole series of of talks. But oftentimes when we talk about God's sovereignty, God's rule as a heavenly king, we talk about God's being on the throne as if he's controlling everything that happens. As if Jesus is kind of like this puppeteer who's pulling the strings from above and making everything work uh, the way that it is happening. And if this is our understanding of God's sovereign rule over creation, then we have to think that everything that happens is God's will. However, when James speaks of God's will, it isn't to mean that if some unhinged person drives down Young Street and runs over people, that it is as God's will that these people would die. Or that a black man being pulled over and shot for no reason by the police means that then this black man was meant to die because it was God's will for that day. Or to say that almost 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate exploding and killing hundreds, wounding and displacing thousands in the midst of Sudan's economic and political crisis, not to mention a worldwide pandemic, that since this happened, it means it must have been God's will that this explosion occurred. Now, I do think the question of why did, to question to God, why did you seem to act here but not here, can sometimes be answered with Isaiah's, your ways are above our ways, your thoughts above our thoughts. And with Job, who's confronted with why he thought he knew God did what he did, responds saying, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. I think sometimes when we see God act here or we think God acted here but didn't act here, that sometimes this is a response we can have to say your ways are above our ways. I do believe that we cannot fathom or make rational the precise ways that God is working in the world to fathom or make rational why sometimes God seems to intervene and sometimes not. And I believe that God invites us to lament, to weep, and to cry out why when we experience these pains and trauma and suffering and loss. And that like Jesus weeping at his friend Lazarus's tomb, God's heart breaks with ours. But to simply say that when something happens is because it was God's will in an attempt to rationalize and mechanize the way that everything happens. Though this may be well-meaning in the moment, it creates an understanding of the place of evil and suffering in the world to be part of God's will, as if God wishes evil and suffering to take place. And this is just, it's just not true. God does not participate in evil and suffering. He can and does redeem it, and he can and does work in the world. But he does not cause evil, and, he does, and it is not his will. Okay, so back to James. So now when we read in James, understanding that God does not participate in, in, in evil, uh, if, 
when James says that if it is the Lord's will, if it is the Lord's wish, we will live and do this or do that, is James saying, if God wants it, then we'll keep living and we'll do this and that? Or is he saying, if God wants us to do something, yes, we'll do it? So, similarly, when Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is this asking God to do the work of making his will done on earth as in heaven? God, do your will on earth? Or is it asking that the will of God would be done on earth? God, may what you will, what you desire, may it be done. Now, do you hear the difference between the two? One is God is doing what he wills, and the other is what God's will is being done by us and by others. And of course, the answer to which of these is it is both. It's yes and yes, both together, but I believe neither alone. And I think that James is this, James has verse 17 to tie into this, where he writes, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I love the word good. It means excellent, right, fair. It means beautiful. What is God's will? Is it not that we do the good we ought to do? If it is the Lord's will, we will do the good that we ought to do. Instead of putting ourselves in a place of judgment over them, is God's will not to love our neighbor as ourselves? Is God's will on earth as it is in heaven, not to place ourselves under the loving authority of Jesus and to work alongside him to bring good and beauty into the world. Is this not what we pray for when we ask God's will to be done? If it is the Lord's will that instead of pursuing arrogant schemes for ourselves that we do the beautiful, right, good we know we ought, if it is the Lord's will that we do this, we will live and we will do it. It takes great humility to pray, Lord, if it is your will, we will live and do this or do that. For in doing so, we acknowledge that we cannot control what will happen tomorrow, and we are offering our lives to fulfill not only our own plans, but the purposes of God, doing the good and beautiful we know we ought to do, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. In this time where our entire society is feeling pandemic, pandemic fatigue, where tempers are short, anxieties are high, and judgment against one another is on the rise. We must actively choose to guard against externally judging the intentions of others. And we must actively choose to guard against the internal intentions of ambition marked by arrogance. We must guard against the temptation to live as if we are above God. Instead, Let us choose to seek the best in one another, approach each other with an attitude of learning and an awareness that we do not see and know all things. Let us choose to seek to do the beautiful good that we know we ought to do. And let us ask God for this humility to accept the reality that we are not God and instead choose to put aside our own selfish exaltation 
to be doers of the selfless good that is the will of God. Let's pray. God, we wish that, um, in a lot of ways, we wish that the world was this easy-to-understand mechanism where everything was controlled and by you, and we could just say, okay, it happened, therefore, it's okay, it's God's will. That feels like it would be so much easier. But God, you have no place in evil. You, you break, your heart breaks with us and with the world in our pain and our suffering. And so, God, we ask that you would give us the humility to love you, to place ourselves under your care and your rule. The humility to pursue your will in the world of doing the good that we know we ought and of not judging others, but loving others as you love us. So give us your humility Shower us with your mercy and your faithfulness and your hope that we may live